0: Welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. My name is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. the mom attrician I'm a board-certified pediatrician, and I'm a mom. And in my spare time, I do other things, like host a podcast called Suicide Pages, in which I speak to real people, sharing their real stories about trauma and how they have overcome. So today is no different. We have another human being, who is happy to go there? You know, the funny thing about this podcast is most people don't think that we should talk about suicide. But I dare to say you, you're talking about suicide because you survived it. You're so thriving. So it's about life. It's about winning. So let's waste no more time because we're only wasting a little bit of time today to meet our brand new guest, Dr. Catherine Bolin, a fellow sister doc but she's a family practice. So you know they're, they're the ones that cheat, they see everybody. But um, Catherine, without further ado, thank you so much for coming to Paint and Write on our pages today. How are you doing, ma'am?
1: I'm doing very well today, thank you.
0: Fantastic. So we're going to just jump right to it. Where would you like to begin? What do you wanna talk about today?
1: So I have two stories, basically, to share about my situation. The first one is a situation where I did consider suicide. The second one is a trauma that I underwent that was life-changing.
0: Fantastic. So here's the deal. I know your family practice, but like any other normal human being, I'm sure you have many, many, many facets. So give us a little droplets of who you are as far as all of your fullness and then we'll jump into the trauma and you just pick whichever trauma you want. Sure. Sure.
1: So um, I am a mother of two grown daughters and a grandmother of three. I have a husband who was helping me get on on to the podcast here earlier. Yes, ma'am. I was a nurse and a nurse practitioner for a long time. As a matter of fact, I did not go to med school until I was 49 years old. So I went very late.
0: Fantastic. You know, you're like me in the sense because I joined the Air Force at 42. People, mm-hmm. people are like, what? You joined up? I say, yeah, there are people like us. <laughs> That's, better late than never, but we got it. That Sometimes. is right. Congratulations. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear all about it. Wow. We're all ears.
1: So I think my first instance of feeling like suicide might be an option for me was at the end of my residency. So I was in the third year of my family medicine residency and I was working nights, which is always traumatic for me. I don't do well on nights. I tend to cry a lot and feel bad. And I was driving into work and I really did not want to go. And I was like, crying in my car as I was driving in and I was thinking what are my options and one option was to just quit the residency right then which seemed crazy to do because I owed so much money mm. and the second option was to call in sick but that seemed crazy too because somebody else in my exact situation was going to have to get up and come in and cover for me and I didn't mm. want to do that. My third option was suicide and thought about that because then my loans would go away I wouldn't have to put anyone else in the same situation as I was in but I decided not to thankfully and I went on and did my night shift but it was it was a very difficult thing I mean I was 56 years old and trying to work a residency where I was working 30 32 hours in a row
0: do you know that what you just said now. I don't know if you've seen the article that I just wrote last week on Kevin MD. I it, did not see it. It's titled "Female Physician Suicides: A Silent Pandemic." Mm-hmm. Because what you just said now, I I know even as I have been suicidal and I've and I'm a female, obviously, but I've never really put that together until I had another guest recently who said the same thing. She said. While she was a resident, she just felt trapped and just pushed to a corner, like literally, her thoughts, the work, all of that. And she was on a daily basis just living in this. Should I kill myself? Should I go to work? Should I? This should should not be, this should not even be allowed. Like medicine should not be like this.
1: I agree with you. And it was and there's no control over your own life when you're a resident. And I think that's part of it, too, is every month something is happening. You are, you know, sent somewhere else and you don't know what you're in advance. And it's exhausting, too. So.
0: How yeah. long ago, how, if I might ask you, how long ago was it that you finished residency?
1: Uh, almost eight years ago.
0: Eight years ago. Okay, so here's the deal. When I was a resident and I went to Howard, go Kamala Harris, right? Uh When I was a resident, I went to Howard University Hospital and that was in 95 to 98. And do you know that we did calls one every third night? Yes. So not to, because I don't know how often you did your residency, but let me tell you something. Talk about being like pushed to the edge about to drop off one fateful day. I was post call and I was going home and I stopped at the light and I fell asleep. I was only saved by a sound. I thought it was a mosquito because I was like, wah, 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 wah. when I woke up, it was like people were like honking. Yes. I off at the light.
1: Yes. I've I fell asleep or almost fell asleep driving home a few times and I would have to roll the window down and slap my face and yes. sing loudly anything just to keep myself awake
0: that is so true I remember that and it's not even funny it is so dangerous
1: it is dangerous but at the, when you look back at it you're like think all the things that you did it seems a little funny but it's not funny because it's at the real. time it's very scary
0: I'm very, very not good. And the Mm -hmm. funny thing about it is I don't know enough of, I don't don't know that enough of us are talking about it so that the rest of the world even really knows. Do you really know your doctor? Do you really truly know your doctor?
1: Yes, most people
0: do not truly. They don't. Well, they don't because in America, at least I think I know this, most people think doctors are so rich and we're all out there just making all this money. Okay, for instance, you have, like you mentioned a little bit, lots of loans. Financial problems are the numero uno after, re- after relationship problems as the reason for suicide. Mm-hmm. Most people think is mental illness, which is, if, you're watching this my, if you listen to enough of my podcast, you will hear I say that all the time. It's not mental illness. It's other things in life, relationship problems, financial problems. Mm-hmm. Those are the top two, even before mental illness finds a distant fifth what
1: I call it is a moment of hopelessness that someone acts on at that time yes and fortunately for you and for me we were hopeless but we did not act on that
0: act on it yes well I was close I was close I'm not gonna lie and I'm very thankful that I didn't follow through because I was I was literally if I had found an opening in the highway that day I was going to do, I just couldn't find an opening. So the, the universe was like, no, we're not. All the cars refused to make an opening for me. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. So, because you yeah. were
1: meant to be here. That's well, what yeah, I
0: think. So that we can meet, right? That's so right. That so, wow. So going back now, so how did you eventually come out of that space, that moment, that moment in time? And was it just one moment or were there multiple moments in your, in your place?
1: That was just one moment in time because I'm a mother and a grandmother and I really feel like you kind of give up the option of suicide when you have children because of the legacy that you're going to leave for them. So even though I seriously thought about it because of that moment of hopelessness, it was that pull of my family that brought me back to a reality of no, I cannot do that.
0: That's fantastic, because I usually like to write down some quotes that people make. So I'm a mother and I'm a grandmother. Was it for you? Ironically, for me, I was going to do it in spite of being a mother. Mm-hmm. So isn't it amazing that, you know, everyone has their why and their why not? You know, I was going to do it regardless. I mean, at, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about mom, grandmother. It wasn't for me to think about. I was like, no, no.
1: Yeah. You just had a severe moment of hopelessness.
0: Yes, ma'am. That's fantastic. I love that. I wrote that down, Moment of hopelessness. So how have you come now since, I mean, did you ever, yeah, actually, did you ever maybe think about getting therapy or talking to your program director? Was this ever anything that you, did you ever think about that at all?
1: No, because I mean, I had barely had time to sleep and maintain the relationship with my husband and my children. How was I going to go to a therapist?
0: Fantastic. Well, were you thinking? Were you thinking, um, as far as like what most of us think? Don't get help because you don't want to get labeled, or was it like, oh, I don't want to get help because I don't need help? What was it for you?
1: It was I don't have time to get help. <laughs> I love that. Oh my I mean, goodness, it really was.
0: Yeah, and I believe it because residency. Honestly, it's like I, I remember my residency. Q three, Q three calls, and literally when you're not on call. You're just too happy to sleep or just be away. Like, I don't want to know. I don't want to think about work until Monday. Yes.
1: Someone asked me once, I was getting ready to go on a break for three days. And they said, what are you going to do for your three days? And I said, if I spend it in a closet in my house, it would be better than what I'm doing right now.
0: Amen. Oh my goodness. That's powerful. (laughs) That is powerful. But you know, I think maybe what this, this podcast is an important podcast. It's coming literally in the wakes of my article on Kevin MD, And then being that you're a female physician and you have actually walked your talk, I think it's important for us to talk about the situation in, the, in medicine with sexism and the fact that female physicians have a higher, well, almost twice as likely as the general population to kill ourselves. Did you know that?
1: No, I have read that, actually. I did. i am aware of that.
0: So what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, first of all, I think that we're much more emotion-centric than male physicians, and so things affect us more deeply, maybe. And the road to become a physician is fraught with giving up things that are important to you like friendships and so for me I went later in my life so I had a period of time where I had a real life first I didn't go just from college into med school where I really just there was no real life experience in between I had a life and children and a husband and I had a friend who got um, colon cancer and I could not be there for him in a way I wanted to because I was in school and in residency and so you have to you make a lot of sacrifices to become Mm -hmm. a physician and those sacrifices maybe aren't even clear to most physicians while they're doing it because they do go directly from college into medical school so it's just a continuum for them and maybe they don't realize all the things they're missing but when i went i realized it and i know that the sacrifices you give up impact you and they probably impact women more than men because men a lot of times have a woman at home keeping everything together where women do not
0: exactly we're nurturers and I like the fact that you said they were more emotion-centric now funny enough you having had a quote-unquote life antes was probably what saved you like you said you had yes and a wife most medical students and residents don't have that yet and mm-hmm. so no wonder we have a high rate of suicide and i know this suicide is the is the second leading cause of death for people aged 10 through 34 mm-hmm. so 10 through 34 means most medical students and most residents right it's second only to accidents which means if if you plan your suicide to be to appear accidental, we're going to
1: rule it an accident and not a suicide. That's right. That's right. There are probably a lot of missed suicides.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. And then, and then and oh, and it's bad enough that they are missed, but it's not only bad enough that they are missed, we also don't report those that we know. We don't report right. of the ones that we know that are truly suicides. And so yes. we never know the number. But that's important what you said, that having had a family, children, grandchildren, husband, the support structure basically, made the difference for you. Whereas if I was single, which I was, you know, when Mm -hmm. I was a resident, I'm less likely to be like, you know, well, my my mom and my dad, my siblings, okay, yeah, but I'm out of here. Peace out, you know, kind of thing.
1: Right. You know, when I was in my last year of residency, my daughter was getting ready to give birth to my first grandchild. She lived in California and I was out here on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And so her due date was resident count date which is when the residents are counted, they have to be there in order for the hospital to get the money for the resident for that year. So when I went and said, listen, my daughter's going to have a baby. And um, this is her due date. They were like, that's resident count date, you can't go. And I was like, you know what, I have sacrificed enough up to this point. I am not missing the birth of my grandchild. And this is what I told them. I'm going to get a phone call. I'm going to pick up the phone. My daughter's going to tell me she's in labor. I'm going to hang up. I'm going to go to the parking lot, go to the airport and fly to California. And that's what I did. And honestly, I think if more people would. the system, Yes, because the system capitulated to me. They weren't going to let me go. They needed me in that residency. So they said, okay.
0: Can I just say how much I love you for standing up? And you know what? You know what? Partially because you're also you were older, and I don't I, mean that in a, in a negative way. But I said that because a lot of people, women, when we come into midlife, we become fearless. We, we become bold. We're like you know, let mm-hmm. the chips fall where they may. I'm going anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I say that because two years ago I walked out of a job that paid me two hundred thousand dollars or more as a pediatrician, because I wanted to start doing what I'm doing right now, which is speaking and writing and just trying to talk about teen suicide and figure out why my seven-year-old patient wanted to kill himself and my 15-year-old patient killed right. himself. So I was like, you know what, guys, can I have one day off, please, during the week so I can go and, and start speaking and talking? And they were like, no, we need you here. And I was like, no, you don't, deuces. And I quit. And I said, right. and, but I don't know that a younger version of me would I've had the guts. I don't know, because of course hindsight is always 2010. Right. You know? But I have to say that there's a lot to be said about being a midlifer and being bold enough to just say, you know what, I'm gonna get a phone call, my child is gonna say that they're in labor, and I'm gonna go.
1: Yeah. I think I think my age played a big role in that. Yeah. Because even during my residency, I didn't take crap from people. Like I remember I went into a surgery one day and the anesthesiologist said to me, I'm going to make you cry. And I said, you don't know me well enough to make me cry. And from that point on, he was, he liked me because I came back at him. So it, it served me mean, well.
0: But that's bullying. Yes. It and went on all the thing. time. That's the third thing I was going to say. There's, there's relationship problems, financial problems, and then toxic workplace. So mm-hmm. that's bullying. How dare you? Who gave him the right to say, wait, wait, wait. What was the premise of that? And why would he even think he could say that? We see when we talk about sexism and and, and then just underrating female physicians overall. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even count. There's inequality of pay. There's inequality mm-hmm. of treatment. Like like we just don't even, it's just patriarchal across the board. Who gave him the, who gave him the nerves to, well, what was going on? What, what, I want to hear about this.
1: I just walked in the room. But I think he bullied all everybody of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody, male or female. Hmm. So I we had no like interaction before he said that. I just walked in the room and they were like, this I was a medical student at the time. They were like, this is a medical student. And oh, he, no. he said, I'm gonna make you cry.
0: It was a power play type thing. Well, you gave it but you 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 did a Serena Williams on him. You returned that mm-hmm. serve, man. He got served. I love mm-hmm. that. At 85 miles an hour for the service for real. That's, That's crazy. right. but this it is exactly, and I'm glad you said what you said about quitting residency, because I had, when I was active duty Air Force and I was the medical director at Lackland Air Force Base here in San Antonio, one of my residents quit. He had had it. And to this date, I talk about him a lot because I don't know whatever else was going on in his life, but I applaud him for seeing that he needed to quit than the other option. It right. probably be suicide or something, which I don't know. Yes. You know? But that day he came and said, Doctor, Dr. Ome, you know, mm, I, I, I'm gone. I was like, you know what?
1: Kudos to you. Mm-hmm. For Kudos doing, for, 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 for standing brother. up to the man. Yes. So I don't know how someone does that because when I got, I went to GW, which is probably the most expensive med school in the country. Okay. And they took me at 49, which was awesome. They were the okay. southernmost med school that accepted me. I don't like the cold weather, so that I went with them. Very good. And when I graduated, I owed $320,000 in mm-hmm. student loans. When I finally paid off my student loans, which I did in one fell swoop, and I'll have to tell you that has to do with my trauma, they were $400,000, even though I was paying $2,500 a month. So, I mean, student loan debt for physicians is just a terrible terrible burden.
0: I think you can say that again for those at the back. I went to medical school in Nigeria. Uh-huh. I didn't I didn't I went on a scholarship but also I, we don't in Nigeria the system is completely different in Nigeria. We don't have this kind of craziness going on here with student loans. Also we don't do like an undergrad. Mm-hmm. So basically potentially for a doctor When you go to undergrad, you already have student loans. Then you go to grad school, which is medical school. That's more student loans. Then wait, you want to do fellowship, potentially more student loans. So you come out with a hunchback already of Mm -hmm. loans. Right. Then you're a female. You want to get married. You want to have children. Right. And your spouse is like, dude, I need you home and then you come home and you're not feeling sexy tonight. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. because you just had to run a code or what else, and just be rated, maybe you were be rated by an, an attending, whatever it is that you brought to the table that they brought home that day. So I guess I, I could ask, maybe you're the right person to do this. And I think, I think you should launch a speaking career, speaking about, you know, just coming through that and then still standing on your two feet. Because very many of the female physicians that I know are, are broken to peace. Yes. And they're leaving medicine in their droves. Did you know that? Are, are you, are you I, in medicine? I am
1: actually, no, I'm staying. I love medicine. <laughs> Listen, you don't go to med school at 49 after being a nurse and then a nurse practitioner for all those years without having a love. It's a love. I can't, there's nothing I can do. I love it.
0: That's fantastic. Cause I, you know, I, I'm coming up on my 30th birthday next July as a doctor and I'm out i'm 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 gonna keep doing this i'm gonna just start coaching um hundred percent and writing and speaking and I feel like I've done my due diligence also because like I told my father over the weekend when I was active duty air Force, a lot of people because i i joined i'm like you I joined the air Force at forty two right so I came in as a lieutenant colonel, and so when people are retiring as lieutenant as lieutenant colonels, I'm coming in colonel. Mm-hmm. I was like what's wrong with this picture? I didn't stay because I was. I had to make a decision. My son was going to college, and I, you I know, I chose motherhood. Motherhood won. But here's the thing, though. Because I came in relatively late, everyone was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm leaving." I mean, I'm like, "Why? Why are you guys leaving?" I, I, you know, to me, it was like I just got here. You know, the party just started for me. Right. Yeah. So the reason I left in the end wasn't because the military was like. Was because I was just. I didn't wanna stay. I didn't. I just. I didn't wanna stay. But I'm so proud of you for staying because we need people to stay. We need people to stay. A lot of female doctors are leaving. The toxicity at the workplace is just not conducive and the suicide is so bad. I mean, we had that doctor, Baron, was it her name, Breen or something that killed herself in um, New Jersey. Is that where you are? You're in the East Coast?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm in the East Coast, but I'm in uh, Baltimore, Maryland.
0: But that's close enough to where she was. Yes. It was in New Jersey. So how how did all how did that affect you, or did it affect you at all? I mean, how did you? What was it? What were people talking about? What was the energy when it happened
1: in April? So you know, we were just learning about COVID, and we were testing people in my um, primary care site, and we did not have enough PPE. We we were like reusing gowns and respraying them with Lysol and and the first time that they sprayed my gown with Lysol after I tested somebody and I could like smell it underneath my mask I thought well this isn't really protecting me now is it so it was pretty stressful it was a very stressful time yes. actually yes yes I actually yes. have I I'm gonna talk about it later with you, but I was in a terrible accident I where it. I was hit by an 18-wheeler and my car burst into flames and I was saved actually by a man who was also involved in the accident. But b- besides all that, now I can't now I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. What were we talking about? No, no, no,
0: I was talking about the doctor who killed her. So what I Oh think, yes. You know, but 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 I think that's a very good segue because it was it was vicarious trauma. Yes. Because this is this is someone that's basically you right. right? Killing herself during the COVID, the the deep thick of COVID. Right. And then you also having your own trauma. So it's a very, very natural segue as far as I'm concerned to talk about okay. your 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 eighteen wheeler accident. So was it about the same time? Is that why you thought about the eighteen wheeler? Was it about the same time that it happened?
1: No, I thought about it because um because of something to do with the whole COVID thing that I had a prescription left over of Valium from my accident which was in 2016 mm-hmm. and I found myself on Fridays coming home and taking five milligrams of Valium from that prescription because I was so stressed out mm-hmm. from the whole COVID thing and I had no I I'm not I don't drink alcohol there was nothing to kind of help me come down and so I for know. the first few
0: I drink weeks. alcohol either that's good to know.
1: <laughs> yeah so for the first few weeks, I was like, it was so stressful. And I was coming home, and maybe I was going to infect my husband. And, you know, we were like, totally shut down, except for I was at work, and I was testing people. And um, so the reason I segued was because I had that prescription from 2016. And for a few weeks on Fridays, I took a Valium when I came home, because I was just so stressed out.
0: I don't think anybody will blame you because it's either, you get, either you use your prescription that you have at home or you go to the doctor and get a prescription. And that's another thing about physicians because we, we don't want to go and, and ask for help. We really don't. We don't want to feel like we're inadequate. We don't want to feel like we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like every, every doctor needs a coach because we need to be coached on that thought process that we're, that we're perfect. Mm -hmm. I almost want to say that black females are the next cohort that I can think of that are like that. Oh, we must be perfect. We must be strong. We must be not have any fear, you know, not show pain or, you know, just Mm -hmm. like that is not even real. I know. Where did that come from? Where did that toxic culture come from? And it's killing us. Mm -hmm. That culture is killing us as physicians, not being able to ask for help.
1: I agree. So that's why my trauma was a big step in that direction because I had no choice but to ask for help. Hmm. So I'm on my way into work. It's a 610 in the morning. I'm in my car in the middle lane of the three lane freeway. There's a 18-wheeler next to me, and then there's another car farther back in the fast lane that I'm unaware of, and we go around a curve that goes to the right, but the 18-wheeler keeps going straight. He doesn't put his brakes on or anything. He comes right into my lane. I'm like, oh, my God. I go into the, on, to the fast lane fast. I don't even look. If there was a car there, I would have smashed into it. He comes into the fast lane, and at that point, I'm like, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crushed. I wasn't even panicked. It was like there was nothing I could do. And then I felt him hit my car and I felt myself like flinging back and forth. I could feel my seatbelt holding me. And then it, it went on for a little while and then it stopped. And I was like, oh my God, I'm still alive. What should I do? And I thought, I'll take off my seatbelt. And I reached down to take my seatbelt off and there's a fire and it's all along the bottom of my car. And it's starting to come up over the um, front part of the car. And at first I panicked. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to die in a fire. This is really going to hurt. Don't let this happen. I'll take anything else. Oh my, this is awful. And then I... I'm a writer as well, and I've written a couple of books. One of them is Healthy on the Campus for College Students Going to School. And I just finished writing that book, and in it was a a school shooter portion. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about how important it was to stay calm and not panic, that it might save someone's life one day that they had read that. Mm -hmm. And that flashed into my head. And so I was like, I have to find the door handle right now, or I'm going to die. And so I was on an angle, there were airbags everywhere. I finally found the door handle. I kicked the door open, it flew open and slammed shut. And then I was like, oh, I'm on an angle. I have one more chance to get out. By this time, fire was all over my car, underneath, coming up the other side. Mm-hmm. So I kicked the door open and I heard this man say, grab my arm. And I threw my arm out and he pulled me out of my car onto the other side of the freeway. And actually, um, Just coincidentally, he was also from Nigeria. He and his wife were in the car behind me, and they had also been trapped by this truck and kicked their way out of their back window. And then he came around and pulled me out, and his wife came to help me. And I took like two or three steps away from the car, and it exploded. And then I fell on the ground because at that point, I knew I was hurt. Like I didn't even know I was hurt until I'd taken those few steps.
0: So what 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 was what did you have like a fracture or what,
1: what was the hurt? Uh, Yeah, my um right arm, I'm right handed, my right arm had such a bad fracture in it that oh even though they said it surgically, all the bone died. So I ended up having to go back in like six months and have another surgery where they took bone from my hip and put it into my arm bone. And then I had three fractures in my foot, a rotator cup injury and a cervical oh. disc out. Jesus. Yes. So I spent maybe three days in the hospital after my initial surgery. And then I went home and I cried every day for two weeks, just from the trauma of it.
0: Flashbacks and whatnot. Yeah. Oh my God. I wanted, I, I, I would like to take credit. For the gentleman that because he's Nigerian, but I know he's just because he's just a good person. That's so. He
1: was a good, he was a nurse. So my oh, husband wow. said, who pulled you out? And I said, a man pulled me out. He was a nurse. And he said, how do you know? And I said, it said nurse on his shirt. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. I even noticed that. Wow. Yeah.
1: So his name is David. And actually he and his wife came into the emergency room. She had a cut on her hand to get sewed up. Mm. And the nurse said, can, can the man who pulled you out come see you? And I was like, "Yeah." Yes. Yes. I had a neck collar on and my arm was all deformed and he came in and I said, come close, come close. I can't see you because of my collar. And I said, take my hand. And he took my hand and I said, I love you. You saved my life. And I took his number and we still um, communicate back and forth.
0: That's fantastic. That's the best way to end this podcast on a high note. The fact that there are still humans out there, good human beings and I know we're in the wakes of a dramatic weekend, but I just want to say to America, there are still good people out there. You know, there are still there good are. humans out there. Wow. 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 How are you doing with the, with the PTSD? I mean, is that better
1: now? I yell at my husband when we're driving on the freeway and he gets anywhere near a truck. Well, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it took me six months to drive again myself. Mm-hmm. And then I had to listen to Elton John or else I couldn't drive. This was like my own little thing that I did. If I was listening to Elton John, it felt like I would be safe. And I probably cried for the first week or so driving to and from work. But I realized I wasn't rich enough to have a chauffeur. So mm-hmm. I better do it. That's
0: funny. If you were Nigerian, Nigeria, you would. In Nigeria, we have, chauff- everybody has a chauffeur in <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Dr. Kate, Catherine, this has been so nice. What what a, what a, I love my podcast. I never know where it's gonna go. You never know where it's gonna go. Never. If I had thought that we will be talking about a Nigerian nurse and the fact that you were a nurse and then an NP and then a physician and residency and toxicity in you know in workplace and I, you never know. This is just in less than an, less than forty five minutes we've done we've been able to cover that. Right so before you leave i usually like you to tell us first of all where the listeners can find you but also more importantly just leave us with some nuggets some you know words of advice and words of wisdom i'm sure you have a lot entering medical school at nearly 60 that is if that's a feat on its own to achieve are you kidding me that's amazing congratulations i don't even know if you know what an inspiration that is i'm in my i'm about to turn 52 but I'm on my way out, like I said, you know. But I feel like I'm even leaving late because a lot of people left when, you know, when they were younger. But I've right. had that got burned out after four years of medical. I'm mean, like, wait, wait, what? I'm I'm going on thirty. What do you mean you got burned out? But hey, to each his own.
1: That's right. You, you have, have to do what's right respect respect for you, and, and what's respect. right for you ends up being what's right for everyone usually.
0: Exactly. Wow. So we I mean, need some words of advice, girl. And then where can the listeners find you? Do you have like your own business, book, podcast? Let's have it.
1: So I actually have two books that are on um, Amazon right now. One is Healthy on the Set for Kids Going to College or, or Healthy on the Campus for Kids Going to College. And the other one is Healthy on the Set that I originally wrote for the cast of um, a, a Netflix show that um, I was the doctor for and um and I've also given it out to other shows that have come into the area so that just is for those people in general Mm -hmm. I have some plans for some more books like for healthy in your 60s healthy in your 50s healthy on the golf course healthy in the kitchen healthy in the bedroom
0: ultimately you're you're one of those people that we talk about in the book writing arena Mm -hmm. best thought of best thoughts I need you to be best written so when are you going to start writing Mm -hmm. I have
1: the two books. I'm writing more. I know. I
0: know. I've written them down. I'm going to put links in the show notes. But all those healthy young, we need to get them out. We need to get them out,
1: girl. Let's get going. I'm I'm also practicing. I I am a family practice um, in Baltimore, Maryland. I work for Mercy Personal Physicians. But I have my own practice. It's Catherine Bowling, MD. Oh, wow. Okay. At Mercy Personal Physicians. And it's a booming practice and I'm going to tell you one of the things you said earlier is people don't know their doctor. I'm a doctor who shares everything with my patients so when I had my accident, I sent them a letter, telling them what happened to me telling them that I would be back and telling them that I loved them. And mm-hmm. they responded by sending me cards and messages of hope and knitting me like blankets. And oh, it was awesome. That, but you see, I'm
0: like that. And people, people, oh, I think people think that I do tell a lot about my business and, and I just, I feel like my story must be told because there's going to be somebody out there that is going to inspire. That's number mm-hmm. one. And number two, I talk a lot. And then number three, I'm no longer bound by the chains of the trauma. So right. I'm okay sharing it. If somebody can right. get wisdom from it, then my work was done. You know, I'll be in the DC area for the inauguration. Uh-huh. We'll to get together. I'm going to come in through Baltimore. So we'll see. We'll see. You never know. That would be,
1: that would be awesome. I'll, uh, I'll email you. I think I just did email you my cell phone. So feel free to contact me.
0: I will do that, I'll do that. So what about the words of advice? We've got three minutes on the clock.
1: So I would say, first of all, um, life has a lot of curves that it throws at you. And sometimes those curves are bad and sometimes those curves are good. I've been through a lot. And what I have found is that after bad things, good things tend to happen, things that you might never have anticipated happening. So it was the ending of a long-term marriage that allowed me to go to med school. And now I am incredibly happy that I did that and I'm remarried. Mm -hmm. So you never know what's going to happen. And so if you find yourself in those moments of hopelessness, let them pass and see how you feel. My mom used to say to me, get a good night's sleep. You're gonna feel a lot better in the morning. And you know what? She was right.
0: Calm comes in the morning. That's fantastic. It's funny, our stories are so parallel. I actually joined the Air Force after the end of a a marriage and then I'm remarried too. So it's like, it's so funny. Like, you know, you never think about how you, how. this is why we must share our stories. This is why I'm doing this. Because you never know how connected you are with each other until you do so.
1: Yes, we are all connected.
0: Actually. Yes, I always say that we're connected by our storylines. Wow, Dr. Bolin, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for just coming this morning. I'm so glad we're able to do it in the end because I I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. So thank you so much. And now that I have your cell phone, I'll definitely get I'll get in touch. I don't know when your episode is gonna air. I couldn't even tell you because I have like twenty in the bank, but right, it's gonna happen. That's for sure.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate it too. Thank you so much. God bless you. I was going to God say something I forgot what it was. So I'll put the books definitely. I'll put a link to the books and um, Mercy Personal Physicians. Is that what it is?
1: Mercy Personal Physicians. And it's my name, Catherine Bowling, MD. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Fantastic. I have
0: a friend who is a doctor in Baltimore, but we'll talk about that off 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 screen. So Ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys so much for listening. It has been so inspiring. Her story is so inspiring. Just courage and victory all over the place. Thank you for going to med school because where our paths would have probably never crossed. So I appreciate it, Dr. Bolin. And I know my thank you. I appreciate it too. So thank you so much. All right, folks. So long, farewell. This is Dr. Lulu, A.K.A. the Mama. teacher. hey. Check me out on Calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. If you like a free 45 minutes coaching session, you never know, you might get past your challenge if you just talk to someone. All right, on that note, deuces, bye.